0: okay here we go no jim to read tonight remember which says yes remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope this is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life the proud have me in great derision yet i do not turn aside from your law i remembered your judgments of old o lord and have comforted myself indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage i remember your name in the night till lord and i keep your law this has become mine because i kept your precepts so pretty wonderful words there i apologize we started one minute late today because i forgot to turn on the computer until just one minute ago So uh, we started a minute late, but uh, let's see here. We're going to read this day in Christian history. Remember that these are kind of from a reformed perspective, so at times things may not actually square with dispensationalism, but we'll read it and hope it it doesn't get into that today. Let's see here. She asked him what his name was, and he answered, oh boy, Charlie Manson. Susan Atkins had met the savior of the world, or so she thought. When she asked his name, he answered Charlie Manson. Soon, Susan, just 18, had joined Manson's family in a life of drugs and sex, and life took an ugly turn. Charlie told her that a friend, Gary Hinman, had invited 21000 or had inherited $21,000. He said, if you want to do something important, why don't you kill Gary and get his money? A few days later, Charlie sent Susan with Bobby and Mary, two of his other followers, to go get Gary's money. They were unsuccessful, but in the process, Bobby killed Gary. To confuse the police, he wrote political piggy in Gary's blood on the living room wall. Bobby was arrested a few days later. Obsessed with getting Bobby out of jail, Manson decided to stage copycat murders to make the police believe that the real murderer was still at large. A few nights later, Susan and three others were sent to a house in Beverly Hills where they were to kill everyone they found. One man was killed in the driveway and inside the house they found I can't pronounce this guy's name a polish playboy sharon tate an actress jay sebring an internationally known hairstylist and abigail folger heiress to the folgers coffee fortune after a bloody struggle all four were murdered susan wrote the word pig on the front door in blood to convince the police that the murder of gary hinman was still on the loose susan was later convicted of multiple counts of murder and sentenced to death as she sat defiantly on death row in California Institute for women, she received a Bible from an unknown benefactor. It was inscribed, Jesus, my prayer is that you reveal yourself to Susan Atkins." One day, Susan heard on the radio that the California Supreme Court had voted six to one to abolish the death penalty. Susan dropped to her knees, sobbing uncontrollably. For the first time in years, she prayed, thanks, God. I want to thank you for letting me live and all the others, too. In the succeeding months a member of the Manson family old Bruce serving a life sentence in Folsom prison began writing her letters about God and recommended that she read how Lindsay's anybody the late great, great planet earth thank you and enroll in a Bible correspondence course she took old Bruce's advice on the night of September 27 1974 Susan lay on her prison bed thinking about her numerous sins she found herself saying I want to be forgiven the words came to her, you have to decide. She felt that if she didn't give her life to Jesus Christ at that moment, the opportunity would never come again. She recalled the words from the Bible, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation two twenty. Her response was, okay, if you're there, come in. Total silence then. All right, I'll come in, but you have to open the door. She talked back to the voice, what door? You know what door and where it is. Susan, just turn around and open it and I'll come in. Suddenly, she saw a door with a handle. She pulled on it, and it opened. The brightness, bright, brightest light poured in upon her. Vaguely, there was a form of a man who she knew to be Jesus. He spoke to her. Susan, I really am here. I really am coming into your heart to stay. Right now, you are being born again, and you will live with me in heaven for all eternity, forever and ever. This is really happening. It's not a dream. You are now a child of God. You were washed clean, and your sins have been forgiven. For the first time, Susan Atkins felt clean inside and out. Reflection, do you really believe that God can save even the worst criminal? Hey, save Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was an, ansa- uh, was an accessory to the murder of Stephen, and we all by nature desperately wicked and in need of forgiveness. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this is a true saying and every one should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I was the worst of them all. That probably stayed true for 2,000 years until Charlie Garrett came along. It's (laughs) Revelation 3.20. Uh, Yeah, I noticed that. They had the wrong site. I I thought it's Revelation 3, but I wasn't going to say it until I went home and checked that. But it's not 2.20. It's 3.20. Good catch. Um, Anyway, uh, we have, uh, uh, let's see here. Darla, we need to continue to pray for her because, once again, I failed to ask how she's doing. I see her posting all over, and she's got photos of her little grandbaby in her arm. Every other post is something with the grandbaby, so I know that she's at least happy. But uh, And then um, our sister Nance out in California, her mom is going to not last much longer. Uh, she asked us to pray for her and her family. Uh, you know, there's some issues in her family that will hopefully be resolved through the death of her mother. and. Uh, Her mother's a believer, so things will be better for her on the other side anyway. But we will pray for Nancy as well. And so let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence, to worship you, to praise you, to study your word, and to share with others in the glory which is revealed in your word about the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for that. We would ask that this class would be honoring of you and not deviating from what you would intend for us to teach uh, that the doctrine would be pure and sound. And if it's not, that you would alert the people listening that uh, there is a fault and uh, that they would uh, not have incorrect doctrine stick in them. And Lord, we certainly pray for Darla with her uh, hip, and we would pray that it would continue to strengthen and the any infection would be gone by now. We also pray for uh, Nance and her mother and her family at large, that things would come out well because of what's happening and You know that she's a saved believer, so even though there's a mourning for her passing and then the loss of uh, the fellowship, there is a greater joy on the other side waiting her. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you for all of the good blessings you've given us. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got uh, anybody here that did not get an NIV Life that wants one. We have some more that... uh, our friend Tom sent to us. He's just passionate about getting the Bible in people's hands, and so uh got him back there. If you want one, please. The only thing I would ask is that you would send me an email thanking him, so I could forward it on to him. And that's the only requirement that I would ask for as far as having a uh, uh one of these Bibles. And then from there, I have three books. What? Oh, we got three boxes of books. Anybody in here that wants some CDs and books and stuff back there? Burke b- brought him in, and we got all kinds of books. So please look through them, and if there's something you want to read or whatever. There you go. And, um, a couple, I think it was two weeks ago. It might've been uh, three, but I think it was two weeks ago. I mentioned, uh, that, uh, there was a, uh, Catholic policy of subduing people kind of like Islam does. And, uh, I mentioned that an emperor that they had strangled after converting him. They baptized him and then strangled him. And so they, that was their way of getting him into heaven. And just so you know, I didn't make that up. One of the people listening sent me an email, and he said the guy's name was Francisco Pizarro. He was the conquistador. The empire was the Incan empire, and the empire was a guy named Atahualpa. Okay, so there you go. That's the uh, background. I wasn't making it up. It actually did happen, and uh, I'm glad he sent that to me. And he also said that that wasn't condoned by the Catholic Church. Um, I think that's what he said, but uh, hey, he was their representative. So as far as I'm concerned, what I said is correct, and uh, he was representing what he believed was Catholic doctrine. And then before we get started, I want to read you something, because these kind of things just make my day when I get them. It's just a short little thing that somebody sent me, and it came in the mail today— And I won't give his name other than uh, his initials. Dear Charlie, my name is F.M. Because I don't have permission to otherwise give this. So I am from uh, a place in West Virginia. I've been watching your YouTube channel for over a year now. I started out watching the prophecy updates and quickly moved into watching the sermons. Uh, You mentioned something. He says, I love your lessons. Um, I feel I've grown a lot in my Christian walk thanks to your teachings. That's why we did this prophecy update is because it was in hopes of having people get into the sermons and the Bible studies. The Prophecy Update is a lot of work every week. It takes many, many long hours and it's transitory. I mean, you listen to it, you get excited about what's coming and then you move on to the next thing. Then people that watch Prophecy Updates usually watch five or 20 a week. And so, you know, they're not getting sound doctrine. They're not getting fed. All they're getting is just, you know, something that's actually pertaining to something that will be happening after they're gone. So as much as uh, fun as the prophecy updates are, they are not anything that you will build doctrine on other than just one small issue in the Bible. So I wanted to thank him for this. I don't know if he watches the Bible studies, but he does watch the sermons. He says, even though I have a home church, I feel as if I'm a part of the superior word as well. So thank you for. You know what the church does for in the superior word so i just wanted to read that because that's the kind of thing that just makes my day is when i hear something like that somebody you've never heard from before and they just send you a little note to uh let you know that uh uh, they appreciate that and that means all of the world to me to know that the prophecy updates led to somebody wanting to have a deeper walk in their actual christian life and not just what's coming you know in the future as far as prophetic events Okay, so we are in now, Romans chapter 15, and we're in verse 9, and just so people know that if they've never watched the uh, Bible studies before, I type a commentary, I've typed one on pretty much the entire New Testament, and that's what I use as my notes, rather than just talking off the top of my head, because I have a propensity for saying, if I want to say 10, I'll say 12, and if I want to say Peter, I say Paul. I'm not a very uh, eloquent thinker just off the uh, top of my head. So unless I have something that I'm looking at, and then from there I can establish my thoughts and we can talk back and forth. But the uh, the reading that I do is from my commentary on the New Testament, and uh, just so you're aware of that. So Romans chapter 9, we don't have, I'm um, 15, see I did it again, chapter 15 verse 9. Um, we have uh, no gem today, so I'm going to read that. It says Romans 15 verse 9 where are we okay oh yeah I'm gonna go back to verse 7 just so we have the context therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God and to confirm the promises made to the fathers verse 9 And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Paul returns to Scripture once again. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Okay? So here we go. 15 verse 9. In the previous verse, Paul showed that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. To confirm the promises made to the fathers okay were the promises made to the Gentiles No, they were made to the fathers they were made to the fathers and then from them came the twelve tribes of Israel and from the twelve tribes of Israel came the people that we call Israel today okay but now he will demonstrate that even even the Old Testament which was predominantly directed to the circumcision meaning the Jewish people they are circumcised okay also showed that Christ would come to be glorified among the Gentiles as well. He begins by quoting a portion of David's writings. The quote is actually found in both 2 Samuel 2250 and Psalm 1849. Very close in their writing. He uh, Things that David wrote that are recorded in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel I, I believe only, um, are repeated as Psalms later. Okay. Paul amends it for the purpose of explaining the Gospel. The original is recorded as, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Let me read what it says here. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Romans 15, eight and nine are actually one unified thought, which have been divided into two verses. By linking them together, as he did, Paul is showing that Jesus is God's fulfill God's truthful fulfillment of the Old Testament to the circumcision as well as to the merciful as well as the merciful embracer of the Gentiles apart from the law in the New Testament this is one of the things that we have to go through again and again and again the law is fulfilled in Christ I am thinking about bringing this up as an issue in the Prophecy Update this week because of an article that was published in Uh, I'll probably add this in, but we need to understand that we are not under the law of Moses. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take, just because it's on my mind, and I want people to understand this, and we we need to just from time to time go through these verses, just so that we have a reference as to the Hebrew roots movement is quite possibly one of the largest poisons that is found in the church today, okay? It's reinserting the law of Moses where it does not belong. It is um, uh, as bad to me, doing that as what liberalism does by allowing these unholy practices in the church. Homosexuality etc cetera, etc. Cetera. They're both detrimental. You're either adding to the word of God or you're taking away from the word of God but here's what it says in the book of Hebrews concerning the law of Moses. Now these are explicit references. There are probably 25 implicit references which if I read and went through with you you would get those but I'm only going to give you explicit references. The first is in uh, Romans chapter 7 verse um, 12 Or I'll start um, up in, uh, yeah, verse 12 first. For the priesthood being changed, the priesthood of the law of Moses was under who? Under who? Not Moses. Moses is the lawgiver, but who is the priesthood? The priesthood is Aaron. That's right. It's an Aaronic priesthood. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Is Aaron still the high priest? No, he ministered. The priesthood is called the Aaronic priesthood. There is no longer an Aaronic priesthood. He, Jesus is now our high priest. If there is once a high priest of this law, meaning the Aaronic priesthood, and Jesus is now the high priest and he is not of the line of Levi. He's of the tribe of Judah. Okay. That means that there is not only a change of the priesthood, but there is also a change of the law. You can't have two laws with two priesthoods running simultaneously. He goes down in verse 18 and he says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling. Does everybody know what annulling means? It's done. It's over. Finished. Complete. There is an annulling of the former commandment, meaning the law of Moses, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Okay. So you had the law of Moses, you had the Aaronic priesthood. With the change of the priesthood came an annulling of the former law in its entirety there's no such thing as a moral law and a civil law the law is done in its entirety okay people will panic over that well what about the ten commandments the ten commandments are a part of the law of moses they are done why do we not kill because the new testament says it repeats it don't kill okay nine of the ten commandments are repeated in the new testament or under the new covenant we're not to kill We're not to do this and this and this one of them is not we're going through that in the book of hebrews right now which isn't it's the Sabbath. That's why we don't worship on Saturday and we don't spend the whole day not eating and per, or preparing food and all of that kind of stuff. It's done. The law of Moses is done. You don't say, well, the Ten Commandments are binding except the Sabbath. That doesn't make any sense. The, what makes sense is that the law of Moses is done and that we have precepts in the new covenant which mirror some of the precepts of the old. There you go. In verse um, uh, 8, verse 13, it says, in that he says a new covenant... Speaking of the new covenant in Christ, he has made the first obsolete. Everybody knows that obsolete means that it is still in effect forever and ever, right? Wrong. It's obsolete. The law of Moses is annulled. It is obsolete. And then one more time. This is important because this is what we're going through in the book of Romans. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Then he said, behold, O God, I have come to do your will or become. behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That is Jesus speaking to the Father. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away, takes away the first, meaning the law of Moses, that he may establish the second. The first is taken away. It is set aside. It is obsolete. It is annulled. Okay, there. That's explicit. There is at least, at least 20 more that are implicit that run throughout the book of Hebrews. The law of Moses is done in its entirety why because of the gracious wonderful blessing of jesus christ god gave us him so that we don't have to work our way to heaven we don't have to worry about uh stressing over our sins year over year over year and plus the blood of bulls and goats um, cannot take away sin yeah. it was all only types and shadows of what was coming in Christ okay everything about the old covenant simply looked forward to the coming of Christ one more which the Hebrew roots movement usually just completely dismissed Paul they put their hands over their head and they go oh, I'm not gonna listen to that but I want to read it to you anyway because um, it is also uh, on the same uh, um th- vein or uh, yeah vein as uh, the other three references I get This is from Colossians, it's from chapter 2, verse 14. Having wiped out, we'll say this is the law of Moses, okay? Got that right there. Having wiped out, that's what is in writing. When you wipe it out, what happens? What happened when I wiped that out? It's It's gone, okay? Having wiped out the writing of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. The law of Moses was contrary to a right relationship with God. It could never bring about what it was intended to bring about. That doesn't mean that we don't fulfill the law of Moses when we come to God. Why? Because we are in Christ, in Christ fulfilled the law of Moses. It is contrary to us as human beings because we already have a sin nature, which makes it impossible for us to fulfill what it says in Leviticus 18, verse 5. The man who does these things shall live by them. We can't do it. And no person lived under the law of Moses. They all died except for one. The man, it says in the Hebrew, with a specific article in front of it, the man who does these things shall live by them. Who is that man? It's Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We will live. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law of Moses is nailed to the cross and nobody went up to the cross of Jesus and took a copy of the law and nailed it in. The symbolism is that he embodies the law of Moses. He was nailed to the cross and he did what on the cross? He died. The law of Moses died with him. And when it died with him, it is gone. It is annulled. It is obsolete. It is set aside, just as it says in the book of Hebrews. He is the fulfillment of it. Okay, I'll probably go through that in uh, the uh prophecy update because of the article that I'm going to do, but I just want to refresh that now. I like to do that once in a while because people get so confused when these Hebrew Roots Movement people come in and they say, they cite something from especially um, Matthew, where he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And they say, see, it's not abolished. That's not at all what it says. Think of what he said. I have not come to abolish the law, but to Fulfill it. He didn't abolish the law. It's annulled in him. If you are not in him, you're still under that law. You will be condemned by the very law that you're holding on to. He fulfilled it for us. We are in Christ. It is annulled in him. But for those not in him, it still stands people cite that verse and they're condemning themselves by citing that verse. That's the sad thing about it. They don't think through what they are saying. They hold on to things that are inappropriate. They lead other people down that path. They reinsert the law of Moses. And when does it end? How many people that go out and say, I'm observant of the law of Moses, walk around with tallits with tzitzits on the end of them and blue cords in their tzitzit. You don't see any of them. Well, guess what? That one violation of the law does what? It condemns you, because if you break one part of the law, you have broken them, all. broken them all. That's what James tells us in the 59th book of the Bible. Okay, so here we go. He says, um, and uh, let me get back to my notes here, which are over here. And uh, Romans 15, 8, 9, are actually, I'm going to read this again, just so you have it, are actually one unified thought, which have been divided into two verses. By linking them together as he did, Paul is showing That Jesus is God's true fulfillment of the Old Testament to the circumcision, meaning the Jews, as well as the merciful embracer of the Gentiles, apart from the law, apart from law in the New Testament. The point that I was making is we have this law, the Gentiles, we'll just go to Acts chapter 10, Cornelius's house. Did they ever observe the law of Moses? Ever? No. They didn't even know it was, probably. Peter goes in and he gives them the word of God. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down on them. They're saved apart from any dealing with the law of Moses. In fact, they were saved apart from even the purification of the law of Moses. Because if you touched something or ate something unclean, you were unclean until evening, right? They got the Holy Spirit immediately. They didn't have to wait till evening. So even the finer points of the law of Moses didn't apply in any way, shape, or form. The Holy Spirit sanctified them at that moment. And he says, if they've gotten the Holy Spirit, how can we withhold water? And he took them out and baptized them, right? They were accepted apart from the Old Testament law. All right. So it says, um, where is that? Um, Yeah. Apart from the law in the New Testament. In this then, praises should flow to God through Christ from the Jew for his fulfillment of their law. And praises should likewise flow from the Gentiles for his grace upon them apart from the law. So the Jews should be praising him. Look, he fulfilled our law. We don't have to do that anymore. And the Gentiles should say, we never had to do that, and we're saved in the same way as they are, by grace through faith. We should all be praising Jesus because of that. There should be a harmonious chord of rejoicing that both Jew and Gentile are saved by the work of Christ and freed from the constraints of the law. Both can now participate in the covenant community by faith in his work alone without reverting to that which he has fulfilled. We are not to revert to that which he has fulfilled, okay? Okay. Before we go on, I want to, we've talked about being saved. We are saved apart from the law of Moses. Well, how is a person saved? Let's go to it real quickly. I'm going to take you first to what the the parameters, the understanding of what salvation is by Paul. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We might have done this a week or two ago, and I don't care. We're going to do it again. Verse 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, and in which you stand. Doesn't mean in which you could fall. When it stand, that means you are standing. You are safe and secure in Jesus Christ, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, okay? For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Will anybody here say they've never sinned? I, don't want, I hope I don't see any hands go up. We've all <laughs> sinned. We've all done something wrong in our life. God loved the people of the world enough to say, they can't work their way back to me. I'm in the infinite realm. They're finite. Their sin is behind them, and they're moving forward in time. They can never go back and undo what they've done. And plus, they can't undo their birth, which they inherited Adam's sin. They can never make this right. They can't work their way to me because I'm infinitely holy. They would have to be infinitely holy forever and ever, for all eternity, working in perfection in order to be reconciled to God. But guess what? Infinite means infinite. No matter how long they are perfect, they will never be perfect enough ever. And so God says, I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to send my son into the world without sin, live this law perfectly that they can't live, and then he's going to give up his life. So it says, I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that which That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures why is it important that he rose again because the wages of sin is death he died for sin he didn't die in sin there's a big difference between the two he died for our sin but because he had no sin of his own death could not hold him and he came out of the grave that's the marvel of what jesus christ did now how do you appropriate that that is the gospel that is what christ did for us and it's that simple we don't need to go any deeper than that how do we appropriate that we're going to turn back five chapters in the book of romans and we're going to go to romans chapter 10 we're going to go to verse 9 this is it this is i don't care what anybody ever tells you you need to be baptized you need to do this you need to do that you need to do one thing or another This is the way you appropriate what we just read, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God, you sent your son into the world to die for my sins. I believe that he is the Lord. You don't call on a dead Lord. Nobody would call on a dead Lord. That's why we're calling on the Lord Jesus. We're implying that he is alive. If you Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, if anybody in here has never done that, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. This is what God asks of you, is to simply acknowledge, I can't save myself. I know that I need a savior, and I would ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I call on the Lord Jesus, and it says in verse 10, for with the heart, this isn't a mental accession that Jesus died. This is something that you say, I understand that he died for me, and that I am accepting that. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So you say, Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be saved by you. I want you to receive me and to forgive me of my sins. It's all that you, God asks of you. And then from there, Ephesians 1 13 and 14 comes into play that it says that if you believe, Let's just read it really quickly and then we'll get back into the commentary what well, I don't want to misquote this 113 not 1 Corinthians 13 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13 where am I 113 oh. hello um, Ephesians 1, 13 14 I'm saying 1 Corinthians because I'm looking at 1 Corinthians I'm sorry about that Charlie hello Ephesians 1 13 and 14. Brain, brain seizure. In him, okay, now you've, you've understood the gospel. You've responded to the gospel. Now here's what God does for you in response to that. In him also, we have obtained, an, oh, I'm, sorry, I'm reading verse 11. In him, you also trusted, that's what you just did in Romans 10, 9 and 10, after you heard the word of truth, which you've all just heard, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I gave you the gospel. I told you how to appropriate it. In whom also, having believed, here's what God does. This is his part. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit, the highest, most effectual seal ever. When we want to seal something so that people won't mess with it, we put a seal on it, maybe a wax seal. And then if the it's opened, when he brings it to the king, the king slays the messenger because he broke the seal. Okay, he allowed the seal to be broken. Or we might have a seal, which is a, a master lock. Okay. Master's pretty good luck remember they could shoot it with a bullet from a long way away and the thing flips up and okay you can't open it well that's sealed okay we seal things and the higher the importance of the seal the more precious is that seal right when the president seals something it's worth more than uh, you know when a, a guy down in the um, marriage section of Sarasota County seals something I mean you've got different degrees of seal the highest seal in the universe is the Holy Spirit okay it says in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So somebody sent me an email this morning. They said, my father, he waffles on whether you're saved forever or not. And I, she said, I've given him all the verses I can think of. Do you have anything that you can logically give me to tell him? I said, sure, I do. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, because it says right there in verse 14, who is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And I said, before you give somebody your defense for eternal salvation, you should ask them the question, because then you put them on the spot. If you just tell somebody something, then they'll waffle around it. But if you put them on the spot first, they can't go back later and say, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. So you say, can God err? Can God make a mistake? Absolutely not. Because if it is, it isn't God. God is outside of time. He's infinite. He knows everything that's ever going to happen. Can God err? And they're gonna, anybody that reasonably understands the nature of God will say, no, God cannot err. So if it says that he sealed you with the Holy Spirit in verse 14, he's the guaranteed of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. If he sealed you and then he takes that back, that means that he made a mistake. It's not the God of the Bible. Second, it means that the word guarantee means nothing. It's a crummy guarantee, number two. Number three is that it was never of grace by faith, ever. Because if you have to do something after being saved to keep your salvation, then it's of works. It doesn't matter when the works are required. If you have to do it, then it's not of grace. But the Bible says in uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Yes, for by grace you were saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you have to keep it, then it wasn't free at the beginning. There is a condition somewhere along the way. So that's the third. And then there's one fourth one that I added in for her to think about is it diminishes the value of the shed blood of Christ to say that you can lose your salvation because what does it say here? To the redemption of the purchased possession. God purchased your salvation. You were dead in sins. He purchased you back from that. How did he do it? With the shed blood of his own son. That is the only thing that purchased you was his death. If you can lose that salvation, it diminishes the very work of Jesus Christ. Everybody got that? Those four things. Remember those. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by calling on Jesus, and that is it. Don't let anybody ever misdirect you from that simple gospel message that is what is your promise your guarantee no matter how badly you mess up he will not take away your salvation it's not going to happen because if he does at any point and for any reason he made a mistake it's not the God of the Bible you'd be better off just staying in a bar and drinking yourself to death it's not going to happen you are secure in Christ okay so let's go on it is evident that what God did in Christ completed Two different actions, one towards the Jew and one towards Gentile. But it doesn't result in two different things. Rather, it results in one gospel. He fulfilled the law for the Jew. He fulfilled the law so that we don't have to be saved by the law for the Gentile. This is why Paul said in Romans 10:12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. There's no distinction. Now, remember, The words distinction and difference do not mean the same thing if you use them in the sentence together. If you use difference and then distinction or distinction and then difference, I don't care which you choose, they do not mean the same thing. And people will say, see, the church has replaced Israel because there's now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There is. How do you know that? Because in one sentence he uses the term Jew and Gentile. There is a difference between the two. And he does that all the way through his writings. He always says Jew. He doesn't say we are Israel now or anything like that. He always makes a distinction or a difference, depending on which word you use first. Make sure you consider the second one. What does it say in Galatians? There is now no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. All are one in Christ Jesus. And say, see, the church has replaced Israel. And my question to them is, do you have any females in your church? And they always say yes. Oh, then you're all females. No, there's males too. But you just said that there's no difference. If he said Jew and Gentile, and then he says male and female, he's giving you categories. The idea is that they are all positionally in Christ. The salvation is the same, whether you're a male or a female, a Jew or a Gentile. But the very fact that he says Jew and Gentile means that they are different and they will always be different. A Jew will always be a Jew. Sergio I don't know if he's listening now. He did get us started today. But Sergio will never stop being a Jew. He was born a Jew. He is going to die a Jew. Jesus Christ did not become a Gentile when he died for the sins of the world. This is a Gentile-led church. But guess what? When Jesus comes back, he's going to be a Jew, just as he is right now, just as he was the day he was born. Okay? There is a difference, even if there is no distinction. We have to remember that as well. So when people start saying, see, and they quote those verses, Let it go. Just ask them, how many women and how many men are in your church? And then use your logic to defend against that. Okay? So, uh, the intent of God's work in Christ was not a resulting Jewish community of believers who would continue to failingly adhere to the law of Moses and a separate Gentile community who would be granted heaven's access completely apart from the law. Rather, the work of God in Christ is the fulfillment of the law for both Jew and Gentile. And so the Jew is told to not remain under the burden of the law, but to rest in the work of Christ alone. In Hebrews 13, 12 and 13, the Jew is thus instructed. Let me read that to you right now. Hebrews 13. We're in. If you're not reading the daily uh, commentaries I'm doing on the book of Hebrews right now, you should subscribe and you can read them every day. I only do one and they might be one or two or three pages long. But... They're not overburdensome, and you will understand the theology of the book of Hebrews. It is one of the most complicated books in the entire Bible. But if you read it, you will understand what's going on. And the reason why it's complicated isn't because the words are complicated. It's because the concepts of the words are complicated, because they deal with the book of Leviticus they deal with the law of Moses they deal with Melchizedek why is Melchizedek even mentioned for a couple verses in Genesis and then he's mentioned once by David in the Psalms and he writes an entire theology on the person of Melchizedek in this book and if you don't understand what he's talking about in the old you won't understand this but when you get a commentary even if you've never read that you will understand why these things are in there okay so Hebrews 13 what did I say i um, 12 and 13 is It says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He's making a theological point. Christ died outside the walls of Jerusalem, just as the body of the animal was taken outside of the the tabernacle, the sanctuary, to a certain place, and it was burned. Okay? Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. What does that mean? The camp is the rites and sacrifices of the temple worship. The camp is all of the legalistic things that the Jews keep doing to try to earn God's favor, which can never bring about salvation. Let us go outside the camp to where Christ Jesus is. He died outside of the walls of Jerusalem. The bodies of those animals were taken outside. They were burned up out there as a sin offering. And Christ died as a sin offering outside of the camp of God's people. That is what he asks them to do. Come outside of the camp. Be saved through Jesus, not through the law of Moses. I wish that the Hebrew Roots Movement people would shut up because all they are doing, and I mean that sincerely, they are condemning people because of their bad theology. It is, you heard the gospel message. It took me a while to explain, but if you read the verses by yourself, it'll take, you what, 30 seconds? If you appreciate what it says there, And you say, I want that. I want to appropriate what Jesus has done for me. It is forever. 30 seconds of understanding for an eternity of being reconciled to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. All of the rest of it that we're doing here, everything that we are talking about is doctrine. It's just I want to know more about the Savior that came and died for me. I want to participate in his life. I want to participate in his death. And I want to be with him for all eternity. And when I'm there, I want to say that I pursued him. Instead of watching a lot of Netflix, don't get me wrong, every night, Hidako and I, when we're eating dinner, we'll watch something. Dad's Army is what we've been watching lately. And sometimes I get a few minutes to watch something else. But for the most of the time, I'm out talking to the Lord. I'm picking up garbage at 7-Eleven, picking up garbage at the mall. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm thinking about his word. I'm praying for people that have a problem in their life that said, would you pray for me today? Okay. That's the kind of thing that I want to participate in Christ. I don't want to participate in Dad's Army. I, I got to tell you, though, I will say that. I'll stop right now, say this. If you get British humor, great. I am i don't really get it that much. It is good. But if you don't get British humor and you just don't get humor in general, but you get the body motions and stuff because Hidiko really isn't she doesn't really get humor a lot. But well, I had been married now for 34 years and I have seen her will laugh out loud three times in 34 years okay three times one of them was she watched an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer was taking a shower with this giant shower head and it blew him out of the shower and she laughed and laughed and I thought he didn't say anything but she laughed right she found it funny because of what was presented okay and when we watch Dad's army she will laugh five times in one dinner she'll laugh and stop eating I'll I i I'll be d- done before her, so I'll go sit on the couch, and I love to watch her go, <laughs> she laughs. So you don't have to appreciate humor to laugh during that if you just appreciate the funny things that are going on because the British do two things. They do, they do terrible humor, but they mix it with great body motions, and that's what she gets. She laughs. Oh, it brings me to tears seeing the joy in my wife's, because she never laughs. I mean, you just don't see it. So there you go. If you want to just have fun, take a few minutes and watch dad's army but don't get into too much TV think about the Lord think about his word Um, so um, yeah Hebrews 13 is the Jewish thus instructed as I read you there can be no one foot in the law and one foot in Christ there's no such thing as that and that is what the Hebrew roots movement does they have one foot in Christ they say I want to have Jesus but I know that what he did wasn't sufficient for me to be saved. that's exactly what they teach By saying that you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And they pick and choose all of these laws from the Law of Moses. They don't wear a tallit, but that's required by the Law of Moses. Make sure you have tassels at the end of your garment and a blue string in there. Why is the blue string in there? Does anybody remember the symbolism of blue? Blue pictures. Come on, we just did this a week ago in the sermon. Blue pictures, the law. So that there, they have the tassels always dangling and hitting them and they look down and they see that blue and it's, "Ah, I I want to remember the commandments of the Lord, the law of the Lord, meditate on it, ponder it, okay? We don't have that anymore. We have Christ. We should just dwell on Christ. But they don't do those things, but they say you have to do this and you have to do that. There is no such thing as putting one foot in Christ and the other in law and saying, I'm going to make this work out. That is what Paul chastised Peter over in Galatians chapter 2. I think we went through that a week or two ago. He said, what are you doing? Here's Peter. He's observing nothing. He's eating with the Gentiles. And as soon as the Jews show up, he backs up. And he says, oh, I'm not going to hang around with those Gentiles. And I'm not going to eat with them. And Paul said, you hypocrite, right? You can't have one foot in here and one foot in here. It is either all Christ or it is no Christ. And you can't add to the work of Christ. So he says, um, uh, it is all Christ or it is no Christ for Jew and for Gentile. As obvious as Paul's writings are, many fail to see and receive the pure gospel, which is the work of Christ on behalf of all. Our works come afterwards, not before, and not for salvation, but for gratitude, for love, for wanting other people to participate in it. That is why we do works for Christ. And those works have to be works in faith thank you if they're not in faith they don't count you can do all of the nice things for people in the world even after coming to christ and not get one single reward for them and you will get rewards but only for those done in faith if you say i'm doing this because i love jesus because i want jesus to be exalted and glorified that's a work in faith if you talk to jesus while you're driving i just thank you so much for that beautiful cloud guess what that is an act of faith Because you can't talk to Jesus if you don't believe that he's listening. It's impossible. It is an act of faith. The simple act of faith that you do, talking to Jesus in a car, looking at the clouds that he provided for you, or the rainbow in the clouds, or whatever, that simple act of faith is worth more than anything you do that isn't an act of faith. You can do the greatest things in the world. You can cure AIDS, and it doesn't matter if you didn't do it in faith. The simple act of faith is what he wants. Okay. Let's see here. Um, uh, as obvious as Paul's writings are, many, oh, I read that. Okay, there's no longer a, I'm going to go back one sentence, the reimposition imposition of the law on Jew or the imposition of the law upon Gentile can only lead to condemnation. I'll read it again. The re-imposition of the law on Jew. Jews are saved. Sergio saved by Jesus Christ. Does everybody agree with that? If somebody confuses him over in Israel while he's there, and they say, well, you know what? You're supposed to be doing this. And he says, uh-oh. And he starts doing it because he thinks he's got to earn God's favor. Guess what he's doing? He's bringing down condemnation upon himself. Not loss of salvation condemnation. He's bringing down the condemnation of Jesus' favor. He's already saved. He's not going to lose that. But somebody that is not saved and is told that same thing will never come to salvation. Because either you're calling on Christ as the fulfillment of the law, or you're not calling on the same Christ. There is one gospel. There is one christ galatians 1 6 through 8 let's read it really quickly so you know galatians 1 6 through 8 i marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of christ to a different gospel what is a different gospel he spends the next six chapters talking about it reinserting the law of moses okay which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Verse 8. But if e- even if we, or an angel from heaven. Guess what the Mormon church is founded on? Mm-hmm. The vision of Morani, right? Sorry. Even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you. Guess what Islam is founded on? Right? Supposed to be <laughs> Archangel Gibriel, or as we would say in English, Gabriel, supposedly came to him and gave him a gospel, a Message of submission, which is what Islam means. Guess what? The Bible preempts him by 623 years. I'm sorry, there is no other gospel. Actually, it was a little less than 623 years. It was 623 AD, but right in that time frame, okay? Which is not another, but there, oh, I'm sorry. If anybody preaches another gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. Let him be anathema forever, okay? So it says um, the reimposition of the law or the imposition of law upon Gentile can only lead to condemnation. There is no longer a sacrifice from the law, which is acceptable because Christ is the end, the end of the law for all who believe the law is done. He is the end of the law for all who believe. If you don't believe in Christ or if you're still under the law of Moses in part or in whole, then he's not the end of the law for all who believe in you and you are required to observe the law of Moses without missing one of those 613 burdensome laws. I don't want to do that. And even the people that say that you have to, don't do it. Not one of them, not one person. They're condemning themselves and they're condemning the people that teach that bad doctrine, life application. It has become popular in many circles today to place the stress back on the law as a necessary part of one's Christian's Christian walk. This is particularly so in many messianic communities. But this is not the truth of God in Christ. Christ is our rest. Hebrews 4 3. If you don't know that, let me read it to you really quickly. Christ is our rest. I think I posted that a day or two ago. I don't remember where we are, but it's somewhere right around Hebrews 4 is where I'm posting it but anyway hebrews 4 it's oh hebrews 4 7 so it was last week sometime anyway hebrews 4 3 it says for we who have believed meaning in christ we who have believed doesn't matter who it's just a general statement jew or gentile but he's speaking to the hebrews for we who have believed do enter that rest we do enter that rest and he's going to continue explaining what that means all the way down through this chapter okay we who have believed do enter that rest it is done that's why we don't observe a Sabbath, because if that's not true, guess what? We shouldn't be here on Sunday morning at all. We should be here early Saturday morning, not eating for, or I'm sorry, uh, not doing any work from Friday night at sundown until Saturday night at sundown. And we ought to be observing our Shabbat. We ought to be lighting our candles and doing all the crazy things that people say you have to do. All right. That's not what Christ came to do is to give us a legalistic attitude towards him. And we dispelled that anyway in Romans 14, 5. Remember when he said that, I don't care what day you observe or any day or no day. Let every man do what is right. That's a bit of a misquote. Let's do it properly so I don't give you the wrong words. Who are you to judge another of verse 5? One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The only thing he cares is that you are in Christ and that you are honoring Christ. Work all day, seven days a week. If you're doing it for the Lord, fine. If you want to take off seven days a week, you're not going to eat very much, but fine, do it to the Lord, okay? Whatever you do, do it to the Lord. He does not put a restriction on us in this, okay? That is the one of the Ten Commandments which is not mandated in the New Covenant. Therefore, we're not to kill people. But the good news is, even if we do something wrong under the New Covenant, even if we do, what does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.19? I've read you that every week for the past six months. God is not counting our sins against us why because if he was we would be unsaved once again because the wages of sin is death he is not counting our sins against us except for rewards and losses not for condemnation when we stand before him the things that we've done wrong will be judged for reward and loss and that is it okay so there you go with that Um, uh, a life application the messianic communities but this is not the truth of God in Christ Christ is our rest, and in him alone we can rest. Do not be led astray by those whose terminology twists the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be simple with the gospel. Be very simple with the gospel. Everything else, we can get into the deepest, most cumbersome doctrine. We can argue over the finer points, but keep the gospel simple. Christ came to live for you. He came to give that life for you. He gave that life for you. He came out of the grave to prove it. That's it. That's all you need to know. Accept it, receive it, and you will be saved. Verse 1510. 1510, Where are we? Okay, and again, he cites scripture again. He's already cited. I'll read you the scripture he just said. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10, and again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So even in the Old Testament, there was the notion that the Gentiles would be included with the people of God. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah in particular talks about the Gentiles again and again and again. But boy, they sure don't read those verses in the synagogue. Or if they do, they read over them very quickly. Okay. Here's what it says. This is a direct quote, direct from Deuteronomy 32, 43. So I don't need to read it again. I'll just read it to you out of here because it's a direct quote. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. What does that tell you? Before I give any commentary, there are. His people and and there are the Gentiles. We have not replaced Israel. If the Gentiles are rejoicing in God and his people are to rejoice with the Gentiles, it means that there are two categories. Even at the outset of the law of Moses, just before they entered Canaan, and Deuteronomy is a rereading of the law. They were given it. They disobeyed 40 years. They were under punishment. At the end of that time, they get the rereading of the law. Okay, that's Deuteronomy. So you have what's going on. Even at the outset, right before they entered, rejoice with his people, O Gentiles, with his people. There are two categories, okay? And guess what? Paul cites that in the New Covenant after the death of Christ. If he's citing that after the death of Christ, obviously the Gentile church has not supplanted Israel. Israel is Israel. We are grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, but we did not replace them okay i don't know how people can read these verses and not come to i had somebody send me that just in an email just today he said i i can't get it how can people not see that there are two categories all the way through these writings but i've explained this before i'll do it again probably soon just so you remember israel was under punishment they disobeyed their lord for the second time as dude Deut- i'm sorry leviticus sixteen twenty six said that they would okay they were exiled and the land is barren. It's completely laid waste. All of the trees were cut down by the Romans to build siege works. There was nothing left in there. There were some Jews. There were, but it was unproductive land. Israel was not a nation. They were in punishment. And that lasted for 2,000 years. After, you know, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 800 years, even, you would think, they're gone. There's a couple Jews in China. There's a few of them up in Russia. They're here. They're there. But they're not a cohesive group of people. All right? But that's what God said would happen, didn't he? He said, I'm going to scatter you to the farthest parts of the earth, and even if there's one or two here, I'm going to bring you back someday. But nobody could have imagined that. A few scholars did. Adam Clark, We remember we read him, we read John Gill. They said, these verses are unfulfilled. They certainly don't pertain to the church, but for the church at large, what did they do? They said, well, all these things about that water in the desert, that's just spiritual. God is spiritualizing these things. And so it created as much of a blinder on our eyes as it did over the Jewish eyes. The Jews didn't believe? Well, guess what? The Gentiles didn't either. So everything was put on hold. And what do you do with that? These promises exist. This must be the word of God. They must pertain to us. And so they just forgot about the Jews completely. Kill a Jew and save your soul, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what the Catholic Church said. But you know what? God used all of these things to punish them for the, their disobedience, their rejection of Christ, but he also promised that I will keep you as a people. And you talk about security of salvation, think of what God has done, because Israel is a microcosm of us. Okay? God made a covenant that he would preserve the Jewish people. He did not make a covenant that he would save that Jew and that Jew and that Jew, but he made a covenant that he would preserve the Jewish people forever, not three ever or two ever, forever. Okay? So here he has kept that promise, and they're back in the land now, right? Did he break his promises to the Jewish people? Absolutely not. Well, if they're a microcosm of the salvation that comes in Christ, and we are in Christ, guess what? If he says, I will save you, he will keep you saved. Unlike the Jews who are not individually saved, but collectively, which we're going through in Hebrews right now, collectively, he made that promise, he'll keep it. If he says to you individually, you are saved, you are sealed, it is a guarantee, he will never break that promise, ever He will never break it. You are secure in Jesus Christ. If somebody tells you you can lose your salvation, tell them you're reading your Bible wrong. You've taken that verse out of context. It is out of context, okay? And when people send me their verses, I always go back with the context. and They say, oh, yeah, that makes sense, okay? Don't get me wrong. There are verses that are very complicated in the Bible. Sergio sent me a couple that he wanted me to evaluate for him today. I said, I don't have time now. Send them to my email, and I'll give you the answer tomorrow. Complicated verses. I mean, they really are. But... In the end God has made a promise he's faithful to keep that promise if you're saved you're saved okay so um, where am I oh yeah rejoice so uh, uh, praise the Lord all you people all you Gentiles Laud the Lord all you peoples okay so that's um verse 15 oh I'm sorry verse 10 rejoice so Gentiles with this people I know I was reading the wrong thing okay 1510 This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 32, 43, which comes from the Song of Moses. This is the last verse of the Song of Moses, which is a poetic snapshot of the coming history of the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, some rabbis teach that if you want to know everything that's ever going to happen to the people of Israel, read the Song of Moses. It gives you a snapshot of what's coming. And they believe that, and guess what? Okay, but if they had believed it and they really stuck to it, they never would have done the things that they did. They wouldn't have strayed from the Lord. But it just shows you that it really is a prophetic snapshot. In particular, this song is actually a scathing indictment on the apostasy that Moses foresaw would come upon them. Read it. It is astonishing. Okay. As a matter of fact, the NIV Live, the Bible back here, I got through Deuteronomy a couple weeks ago. I'm up to, uh, to Samuel now. I don't drive that much. I mean, take the Bible and listen to it. Okay. The most moving reading that i have had yet i just went through the whole book of ruth today and that only took a couple minutes i mean when you're driving it takes almost no time at all the most moving reading that i have had so far in the the entire niv life up until samuel was deuteronomy chapter 28 through 32 the punishment and the curses all the way through the song of moses that man did a marvelous reading his voice was just, he was losing his breath. He was, he was, it, it was marvelous to listen. My hair is standing up. Look at that. It was marvelous to listen to. When you get to that passage, if you're not moved, your brain is dead. That's all I can say. It was, it, well, I am almost in tears. He did such a beautiful job it was wonderful anyway here we go oh my hair is just standing up all over I, I, I would go back and listen to it again but they're on cds and you have to find the right track and there's like 80 cds i'll get to it again in a couple months maybe all right it was it was beautiful um anyway uh poetic snapshot in particular the song is a scathing indictment on the apost- apostasy of, that moses foresaw would come upon them it speaks of their rebellion turning away from the lord and his resulting judgment and after all the strong words of condemnation and doom the song ends with restoration which is deuteronomy 32 verse 43 i'll read it again praise the lord all you gentiles laud him all you peoples what is clear is that god is ever faithful and covenant keeping even when his people turn away from him he will never reject them or utterly destroy them thus violating his promises to them Leviticus 26, the blessings and the curses, and they end on the promise. And he gives cites two covenants in that. First, he cites the covenant to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I will never violate this. And then what does he do? He turns around and he says, at the end, the people will do this based on this covenant. The covenant of the Mosaic covenant. Well, people kind of miss that. And it shows you very clearly that if they're under punishment, and yet he's citing the Mosaic covenant after the covenant to the fathers, then it can't not mean that the church has replaced Israel. It is impossible because he cites both of the covenants. It cannot be ever that the church has replaced Israel. The Jews, I don't care how disobedient they are. I don't care if you say they rule the world and blah, blah, whatever your conspiracy theory is, it does not matter. Their unfaithfulness does not negate his faithfulness. It does not negate it. God is faithful, even if they are completely apostate in their what they say, because he said it in his words. OK, God is faithful in covenant keeping. All right. He will never reject or utterly destroy them, thus violating his promises to them. This glorious God who is truthful to his covenant people, Israel, that's verse fifteen eight. Is also merciful to the Gentiles. That is verse 15 9. And so together, Jew and Gentile are asked to receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That's verse 15 7. The idea is, is that truly in Christ there is no favoritism. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, or if you're rich or you're poor, it does not. Matter. There is no favoritism in God. He is the Lord of Jew. He is the Lord of Gentile, and therefore we are to receive each other just as Christ has received us. And that's speaking of people in Christ, okay? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile not in Christ, you are not under that obligation. You want to receive them as a human being, but you are not obligated to receive them as a brother. But if you have a beef against the Jews for whatever reason, and one comes and says, I am a follower of Yeshua, meaning Jesus, he is your brother. You are to receive him as such. All right. That is what he's talking about. All right. Uh, Let's see here. This, the idea is that truly in Christ, there is no favoritism. Okay. I read that. Uh, it's important to not separate what Paul is trying to tell us from the overall context of what he has been giving instruction on. Throughout chapter 14 to the opening of chapter 15, he has been educating the church on, anybody remember, all of 14, all of uh, the beginning of 15, doubtful matters. Matters of food and matters of days of observance. Doubtful matters. He has been teaching them about that. That's still the context, so we don't want to remove it from that, okay? These come about based on who we are as individuals coming into the body of Christ. And Jews may find some things difficult. Gentiles, other things, okay? A Jew that comes into Christ understands that he is freed from the law of Moses. The law of Moses says you are not to eat certain foods, right? We'll give, give the uh, old porky pig an example, bacon, all right? It's not. Well, guess what? That is as much cultural as it is legal in them because the jews don't follow the law of moses do they you go over there today i'm telling you they got buddhas in their house they couldn't care who the lord is they've got no regard for him at all and i'm not talking about all of them i'm talking about the majority they're a secular nation and yet their culture despite the law of moses despite it their culture does not eat pork everybody know that have you been to israel you're not going to see it there unless you go to the arab communities right but you're not going to see it in a Jewish home ever. So it's a cultural thing as much as it is religious. All right. Jews may find those things unacceptable. We are to accept one another's shortcomings just as Christ has accepted us. Remember we talked about veggies, vegetarians. I was a vegetarian for five years just because of how it's processed and it grossed me out. But you know what? If I was a Christian at the time, people would say I need to accept them despite that. All right. Well, I'm glad I got over that. Like I said, I met the Lord and eventually I went to Israel and they had lamb served up and I said, oh, that smells good. And I've never eaten anything but animals since then. Okay. I got over it. But until that happened, people have to say, I accept him for what he is. That's what we do. We don't, it's a doubtful, disputable matter. Don't hold it against one another. Okay. If he has received someone, how can we reject them? It doesn't matter. He received Cornelius Let's go to that passage really quickly, so you see the logic. If he has received someone, okay. If he has received someone, how can we reject them? Let's just read it, just so you understand. I'm not going to read the whole passage; it's a little bit long. But here it says, um, uh, "Commenter on click." What's that? Uh, chapter ten of X. And then let me see if I can find this really quickly. He's uh, talking about. Um, Uh, let's see here where oh that's 11 so I'm not there okay I'm just gonna take you back to um, verse 37 I'm sure it's after that Um, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism when John was preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses this is Peter speaking to the Gentiles of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witnessed that, through his name, whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, while he was speaking, they had pork in their stomach from breakfast that morning. They had had bacon and eggs and some of them ate pork chops, okay? They're Gentiles. They are not observant law under the law. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, it says, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They were not unclean until evening. They were not unclean seven days. They were not out until they had been circumcised. There was not one requirement levied on those people, one, except to believe the word that they heard. That was it, not one. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They asked him to stay a few days. Okay. God accepted them because of Christ. How can we not accept them? If somebody receives Jesus and they don't eat pork, how can we say I'm not going to fellowship with you over something so babyish? Right? We have to have soundness in our theology. Disputable matters are to be kept disputable and to be left alone. It's the matters of doctrine, of deviating from the precepts of this word that we need to stand firm on and say, I will not tolerate that. When people come and challenge the word of God and they say, well, you need to be under the law of Moses, you need to do this or you need to do that. Then we have to say, I disagree and I'm going to show you why. All right. But when it's something disputable, obviously disputable, because he accepted that person, we are to receive them. Okay. So, um, uh, where was that now? Uh, Receive one another just as, um, uh, let me see. I can't remember where I was. Um, Oh, yeah. Here it is. Okay. And so, Jew should not look down on Gentile, nor should Gentile look down on Jew over doubtful matters. Instead, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Together, we can give. glory to God for his truth and mercy Jew and Gentile it doesn't matter the disputable matters just put them aside okay life application instead of tearing others within the body down over doubtful matters let us glorify God who has called us despite our failings into the body of Christ let us glorify God for his bestowal of favor upon his people one of the things that always just it really makes my jaw clench is when i see somebody they'll post a meme somewhere on social media and they'll say well that person isn't a good christian because and it's something completely unbiblical it is something disputable or it's something not even in the bible not even recorded and i think you know what i i just i i don't understand because christ has accepted that person guess what he gave him his spirit what that person needs is good doctrine not you belittling them I, there's a song that I, I, I think the guy's name is Chuck Gerard. Anyway, who, whatever his name is, he's a singer from some years ago. And somehow he just started showing up on my YouTube mix and it comes up almost every day and it's called Don't Shoot the Wounded. And it's such a good song. Don't shoot the wounded. That's when they need you, right? Instead of taking these people and shooting them, you ought to be giving a proper doctrine. Don't shoot the wounded. Verse fifteen, eleven. And again, he goes to scripture again and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. Okay, in the previous verse, Paul used the Torah, the law. Oh, I won't get into it. Anyway, to demonstrate that God's attention was directed toward the salvation of the Gentiles as well as the Jewish people. The Torah is the first five books of Moses. That's called, Torah means instruction. That's all it means. I will get into it. Somebody um, got into something about um, uh, saying that they use the word Torah and they said, well, the Gentiles are, you know, the people that don't hold to the law of Moses. This is a person that's clinging to the law of Moses. Um, so they even misuse the uh, the term Torah. It means instruction. And they say, see, they're not getting that right. And so they don't understand that the Torah is still in effect and God's Torah never dies. And they're going to all this crazy stuff. And I said, just go look at what it's called in the New Testament. When Jesus says the law of Moses, right? It doesn't say Torah instruction. He uses the word nomos, law. Well, now he's got a disconnect because this is Jesus and this is a translation that it was written in the Greek. So all of a sudden it doesn't say that at all. And Paul and all of the other people, when they cite the law, they call it the law of Moses or some other word. So when you get in, what happens is when you know a language that other people don't, all of a sudden you have a little bit of control over them. And if you can sway them because of, oh, I know what this says and you don't. That's why when I explain something in the Hebrew, which we, you know, we do all the Hebrew all the way through every single Sunday. I always explain what it means, right? I'm not trying to keep it from you. I'm trying to instruct you on it. You are to be fully instructed. And once that's written and once that sermon is out there, anybody can go back and refer to it. They can read it online or they can watch it on YouTube. It's there. If somebody wants a copy of it, they say, Would you send it? I always send it to them right away. It's not if far we were talking about this before church today. He said, Why don't you take all of your sunrise photos and put them in you can sell them? And I said, I won't do that. My copyright for everything that I put on the internet, if something is from Charlie Garrett and it's mine, my copyright is you have a right to copy. That's it, I, I am not gonna charge anybody. If somebody wants every sunrise photo that I've ever taken, all they have to do is go to the sunrise page on Siesta Key, Sunrises, and Sunset and push download album. And they can download every one of them and they can use it. I see, you know what I see people do all the time? They use those pictures for advertising. They use it, they, some people email me and they'll say, you know, can I use your photo? Then that day, because I have see got new people and they don't know that I make a post on the page and I say, listen, this is my policy and so i want people to know that i don't want anything to be of charge that came from the grace of god that was given to me because my grandfather moved there 70 years ago i should be charging for it so Burke, after telling him that he understood right i mean it just that's the way it is and when i do this on monday guess what this is for the benefit of the people of the world it's not for me to sell right and so when somebody says oh well the hebrew means this and you're not properly understanding this i it's just oppressive right It's just oppressive that people would do that. I know something that you don't. I speak that better than you, and therefore, that's bad policy. That is really bad policy. Okay, so we'll go on. Um, The the law, the Torah, to demonstrate God's attention was directed to the salvation of the Gentiles as well as the Jewish people. Today, he will cite another section of the Jewish scriptures, the Ketuvim, the writing. So the Torah is the first five books of Moses, also known as the, begins with the P, Pentateuch okay which means five Pentateuch so you've got the five writings okay so Pentateuch the Torah or the law of Moses all of them mean the same thing the first five books of the Bible okay now he's going to write the Ketuvim, the writings to witness the same fact okay does anybody know where the term Tanakh comes from or what it means it's the Old Testament that's what the Jews call the Old Testament it comes from Torah ta and then you have Na, which is ne- Neviim, the the uh, prophets and then you have the Ketuvim, which is the writings, Tanakh. So you have Torah, prophets, and writings. So when somebody says, well, the Tanakh, and they try to act like they know something you don't know, now you do. You can say, all that means is the Old Testament. That's say you have to tell them. Okay, Ketuvim, the writings, to witness the same fact. As a major portion of the writings are to be found in the Psalms, he chooses a verse from there. But more than just an arbitrary Psalm, he goes to the 117th Psalm. What is particular? Peculiar about the 117th Psalm. There's two things about it that are actually three, but two of them you should know. What? (laughs) No, 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 no. That's one uh, 20. That's um uh uh, that that's one of the Psalms of ascent. Um uh yeah. I um hang on a second. Um, Maybe it's 23 then. Yeah, 23 is the the Aaron's beard. Yeah. Thank you. Um uh the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The 117th Psalm is one, the very middle of the Bible. The very middle of the Bible, if you have a New Testament on it, okay? Secondly, it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. As a matter of fact, let's read it because it'll take us a while to get through, okay? You're going to be like, wow, I I didn't know that that was even there. Um, Here it is, the middle of the Bible, 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord, or in Hebrew, hallelujah. That's it. That's 117 psalm. It's the smallest chapter in the Bible, and the whole Bible makes a chiasm based on that. It's very impressive, if you've ever seen it, a numerical chiasm. But, okay, so you have this real short little psalm. The third thing about it, which you may not care about, but it's one of the, uh, oh, I do. I'll I'll say it in here. I know I do. So I'm not going to give you that yet. I'll read it in just a second, but it's the shortest in the Bible. It is the center of the Bible. And I had one more thought that just came out of there. Oh, and it's directed to who? Uh, To the Gentiles, right? To the Gentiles in the middle of the Bible. All nations. Well, all nations, but yeah, Goyim, Gentiles. Okay. So having said that, i lost it again i had that same thought and it came out and then it's gone again so i'll remember it in the middle of something tonight at two o'clock okay um uh let's see here uh, he's going to get the vein as a major portion of the writings are to be found in the psalms he chooses a verse from there but not an arbitrary psalm he goes to the 117th psalm this is a psalm which is notable for seven several reasons oh and i say okay one the 117th psalm is the shortest chapter in the bible it is simple and direct in its purpose and intent 117 psalm 2 is a part of the Hallel. this is what i was going to tell you the psalm includes psalms 113 through 118 and is the portion of the psalms which are openly recited at the time of the passover remember it says that they sang a song someone says actually what they did is they recited a psalm okay in, when it says that about Jesus at the Passover, they are reciting the the Hallel, and then they, they uh, do this, okay? There's a portion, oh, oh, I even cite the reference here. In the New Testament, we read about this on the night of the crucifixion, Matthew 26. Let me take you there. Look back this way. Matthew 26. Don't go too far. Hang on, Luke. Come on, Charlie. Mark. Matthew 26. And it says here... He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day that when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, meaning the Hillel Psalms, they went out to the Mount of Olives okay so there that's what they are doing on the night of the Passover this hymn would have been a portion of the Hallel the Psalms which they would have completed during the Passover verse 3 after completion of the new test or oh, I'm sorry 3 you got one point short a psalm Two, it's part of the halal. Three, after completion of the New Testament, the 117th Psalm, and there is the very center of the Bible. It is as if it is an axis upon which Scripture pivots. And I remember what I was going to say. You're going to see time and time again, people send out this email or somebody send you a link to a YouTube video that says Psalm 118, verse uh, 8, is the middle of the Bible. That is incorrect. Why? Because there are 1189 chapters in the Bible. 1189 you can't have 118 8 be the center because it's a even number it has to be an odd number it is the 117 psalm people make this stuff up they, like they think they're helping god right and so they send out these stupid emails it's impossible there are 1189 chapters or yeah in the uh, bible okay so don't believe that when you just send it back and say this is wrong okay anyway um this hymn oh i yeah three, Oh, i read that too in the, using the 117 psalm And this particular verse from it, we are shown that God's heart is as equally directed to the salvation of the Gentiles as towards the Jews. This is even more clearly understood when considering that Jesus' singing of this hymn occurred before his crucifixion. He's singing about the Gentiles just before his crucifixion. It was as if he were trying to wake the world up to the fact that the cross was intended for all people. The israelites were selected for a mission and were set apart for a purpose but they are not the end of god's redemptive plan they are a means in which he will bring it about for all people In setting israel apart god used them to usher in the messiah thus bringing himself glory from both jew and gentile and so because of god's great work in christ all people can recite the hallel knowing that they were included in Jesus' thoughts as he went to pray at Gethsemane and that was nailed to that tree. Let us let the world sing of God's great act. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Surely the Lord Jehovah has done great things for his people in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Great stuff. Life application, God has done the work, but it is incumbent on each person to accept that work. Call on Jesus, be reconciled to God, and praise the Lord for his mighty deeds. Okay. I'm not gonna be able to get another one done today. Yeah, no way. I'd have to read it at warp speed just to get it done. So we won't have time. We'll end a couple minutes early, but um uh wonderful stuff. The book of Romans just it never gets old and you know what, you read a commentary on the same verse we talked about today and there'll be a thousand different insights that people draw out of it it is a never-ending well yes i have a question about the name of god yep um the the, the tetra- tetragrammaton yes um when you say hallelujah is yah- yes that is a part of it so hallelujah is hallel which i just said it's called hallel praise and then yah is jehovah praise jehovah so he lets us use his nickname. He lets, yeah, and you'll see sometimes Isaiah or even, uh, it, it, where is it? I think in the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, it will say, praise Yah, Yehovah. It'll repeat his name, but it uses the shortened form and then the full name. So to say, praise Yah, Yehovah. But when we say hallelujah, that's what we're doing. We are saying, praise Jehovah. Okay, once again, people get all bent out of shape. Well, his name isn't Jehovah. No, we don't know the pronunciation of the yeah. divine name. Some people say Yahweh. Some people say Jehovah, which is what I say, because it's probably the closest to the truth. But there are about 15 different possible, uh, what do you say, uh, pronunciations of the Tetragrammaton. We don't know what it is. The Lord didn't reveal it to us. So people get angry over things. And then they say, well, there is no Jesus and there is no Jehovah. There's no J. Well, guess what? Here's how it goes. It started with Hebrew. Hebrew, the Y that we read in the Bible is always, or the J we read is always a Y. So when you see Jephthah, the name Jephthah, right? The name is Yiftach, okay? It begins with a Y. So Jephthah is Yiftach. Nobody that says, well, I don't say Jehovah calls him Yiftach. They all call him Jephthah. So they're being double standard right there. Okay, but yes, go ahead. So David uh, be yes. Yiftach. Yiftach. Yes. Yeah, Okay, uh, you see a J in the Bible, it's a Y. Okay, when you see um, uh, Joel, yeah. it would be Yoel, right? Yeah, Jummy would be Yummy. That's exactly right. Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin is Binyamin. Yeah, the son of the right hand, Benjamin. Okay, anyway, so you've got the, the uh, Y, and then you get into the Greek because the Old Testament was translated in Hebrew, but the New Testament was translated in Greek. Okay, when you get to the Greek, it is a I. Okay, so instead of saying Jesus, they would say, or I'm sorry, Yeshua, they say Yesus. And that depends on the construct of the Greek sentence. You've got, uh, it'll be different when you talk about somebody or when you uh, uh, are speaking the name talking about them or referring to them, it'll be different. Yeah. Subject and object. Thank you. And so it would be pronounced differently. But when you're speaking of Jesus, it'll say Jesus. So you've gone from Yeshua to Jesus. Okay. From there, it goes into the Germanic languages and it becomes Jesus with a J because they, they still don't pronounce like you have Johannes Kepler, right? How do you spell it? You spell it with a J. We would say Johannes, but it's actually Johannes okay and then it got up to the english languages and they took the j which in german is a y and they just said it the j the way they pronounce it and so we say jehovah we say jesus it's the same name it's with our pronunciation everybody see the etymology of how that came about he's so (laughs) kind to us because you know most people can't say some words in the hebrew saying is a hard name to say but we say jephthah okay Japheth. You asked Japheth. I said I was thinking you were saying uh, y- y- um, in Greek it's Yapetos. Uh, in Hebrew it would be uh, Yapet. I think is how you would say Japheth. Yapet. I could be wrong, but I think it's Yapet. Anyway, so you see how it goes from a J to an I to I'm sorry, from a Y to an I to a J, YJ to a JJ. That's how it went about, and that's what it is. There's no conspiracy. There's no incorrect. Right when you go to Japan, they call him Yesu. Pretty close to Yeshua, right? But it's not Yeshua. They don't say it. They say Yesu. So don't get hung up over those type of things. Don't let people misdirect you and say, well, you're saying it wrong and you're going to go to hell because you're saying his name wrong. You are a Gentile in America where we say a J, okay? No problem. Let's uh, pray and we'll be out of here. The uh, Amish say Yakov. Yakov. And and, and I thought, why are they doing that now? Now you understand. That's right, because they're probably Germanic Amish. And because of that, they will say yakov instead of jacob yeah. that's right because that's what his name would be in hebrew and then uh in, anyway here we go very good heavenly father we thank you so much for this precious word we thank you for the gift of salvation which came through the shed blood of christ and it is so easy for us to appropriate to be saved simply by calling on this wonderful Lord who gave his life for our sins, Lord. I would pray that if there's anybody out there that has not done that today, that today they would do it. They would understand the immensity of Paul's words. Today is the day of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Oh. That they would not walk out of the building they're in or they would not uh, finish their day without calling on Christ because they don't know the day of their end. And so, Lord, Help us help our hearts to be touched by this wonderful message and then to share it with others once we've received it so that many will come to a saving knowledge of Christ before that day when we can no longer do so. And Lord, we certainly raise up to you Darla and we raise up to you our sister Nancy whose mother is at the end of her earthly existence, but who will soon transition into a much more wonderful place in your presence. So we thank you at the same time as morning for her and for her family. And, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we do exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me back this thing up here. Ooh. we go. Uh, Okay.